We want to empower people to positively impact the world. That's what this company needs to be about. Whether it's on the clock, whether it's off the clock, we want to empower people to have a positive impact in the world. And the way to do that is to prioritize abundant life and purpose over profit. Welcome to The Disrupted Workforce, where we help courageous professionals explore, expand, and evolve in the future of work. Are you curious to understand how all these disruptions are changing how we work in our careers? Trying to self-assess and build an actionable plan to thrive in the future of work? Looking for research and insights from thought leaders to help you and your organization? Then this is the show for you and you found your tribe. I'm Alex Schwartz. And I'm Nate Thompson. And we are your hosts. Hey, TDW fans. Today on the show, we are so excited to have Tom Rossi on. Tom and I met at PodFest this year in Orlando. He was giving a great talk on the future of podcasting, which he knows a lot about. He's the CEO and founder of Higher Pixels, a software product building company based out of Jacksonville, Florida, just to the north here in Miami. And they host four different web-related products and create simple solutions to complex problems. The one you probably know best is Buzzsprout, a podcasting hosting platform that makes podcasting much, much easier. And it is the largest premium podcast hosting company in the world thanks to a really cool product evolution and story that I'm sure we're going to dig into today. Tom, it is such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. Thanks for for having me. Uh, I do want to say one correction, though. I'm not the CEO. We are actually, we have a a partnership. So there are three of us that run the company Higher Pixels. So it's me and my partner, Marshall Brown and Kevin Finn. Fantastic. Co-CEOs. (laughs) Co-CEOs. We call ourselves founders. I don't know. I don't know what the best term is for that. Well, we're going to talk more about that because that in and of itself is very unique. You know, co-CEOs or co-founders, three people. But before we do, let's talk about your origin story. So, you know, you have a very unique background, uh, throwing papers as a kid, which I did too. You get into engineering science, you, you get into physics and astronomy. You, so you're obviously an engineering mind. You like to tinker with things. You love electric skateboarding. And then you found these four companies. So... Obviously, you've got this innovative background, but just kind of give us your origin story of how you got to that place. Sure, sure. I think I have always been into science and gadgets and stuff like that. So I did. I loved, I loved engineering. I loved it in school. And then I actually, I graduated and started working at an engineering firm. And this was early, early to mid 90s. And um, that was when I, I remember I got a, an invitation to go to a conference. And at the top of the con at the invitation was this weird HTTP colon slash slash squiggly thingamajigger. And I was like, what is that? And one of the other, you know, nerds that I worked with was like, <laughs> ooh, that's a web address. And I'm like, a what? That's the World Wide Web. And uh, and really ever since then it just it changed everything. When I saw it, I was like, this is gonna be, this is gonna be huge. This is gonna be different. So I wanted to be a part of whatever the internet was going to do. And so I quit my job and moved to Jacksonville, Florida and began the company to really see how the internet was going to affect both businesses and nonprofits. I really wanted to impact both because I felt like they were, the nonprofits could be left behind. And so I wanted to to really start a company that would bridge that gap, that would help both 
businesses and nonprofits benefit from the technology that was coming out of the internet. That's what really started the company in 1995. Very cool. And can you tell us a little bit more about anything that might be behind that, your desire to lean into innovation and technology? You know, how has that interest and curiosity shaped your work at Higher Pixels? Yeah, I think it's something that I've always enjoyed in and found other like-minded people, <laughs> right? So finding other people that have that same kind of drive because we can get excited about how this, not just about the technology itself, but how can we apply this technology in a way that makes business and even nonprofit business uh, better than what it is without it. And so I think that's, that's really what that drive was. And so when we started, we did anything and everything in terms of client services. You could hire us to build a frame relay network to connect your company to the internet. Wow. Or uh, we would write HTML to build your web page. Right. So this is, again, this is the early days. People didn't even know, like, why do I even need a website? I remember uh, going to uh, a company, a large company that shall remain nameless, that told me, you know, well, we don't need a website. There's no way. No one's, no one cares about a website for our business. And so you just, it was at the early days, days when you could basically just be a generalist. And over time, it got refined to being software. So then we were building web applications for people, not just websites, but a, a web application, a website that did something and had some type of backend, had some type of interactions that were happening. Um, so it wasn't just marketing, it kind of got refined over time. And as a result, you really needed a team to be able to do that. So we got into client services, it got focused over time into being building web applications, and really building by the hour to, to be able to, you know, to make to make ends meet. That, that was the, the business. Mm. And, so, and so if we take that and kind of step into forward for a minute and say the pandemic was a big disruptor for a lot of people and it caused organizations to kind of reinvent overnight. Oh, we have to pivot. This isn't going to work. But because of where, let's say that you were a really early adopter to these things and because you started making that shift from client service to product, you ended up being in the right place at the right time during the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah, 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 for sure. So when September 11th hit, that changed everything for our business. And so we got forced to pivot out of client services into product. So what happened was the, the only way to grow a client services company is to hire more people, right? Because you, your lid is how many hours can you bill in a month? That's the lid of how much money you can make in your business. And so I've always enjoyed leadership I love, I love helping people figure out what it is, how they've been created, the gifts and abilities that they have so that they can bring them to bear in a way that, you know, benefits others. Because man, when you can do that, you just see people light up. And so I enjoy that aspect of leadership. And so as a client services company, that's what you did is you would go, you would bring on people to the team and then, you know, plug them into these different projects that you had going. So when September 11th hit, Every one of our customers, literally, I think every one of our customers said, we're freezing our budget. We're not going to spend any money. So, hey, we love what you guys are doing. We love the team that you have. Keep them available for us because we could call you tomorrow and we might want to start moving again. But for right now, we're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm looking at my team and I'm thinking, well, what am, I, what am I supposed to do in the interim? Now, we had always talked about building product. I mean, when we first started the company, uh, you know, we talked about it all the time. But over years of doing client services, 
we just never, we never talked about it anymore. Well, now all of a sudden we're talking about a product. Well, what are we going to do? I got to keep everybody busy. And that's what we did. We said- Pure survival. Pure survival and really busy work almost because I, I wasn't optimistic that it would pay the bills. I was just optimistic that it would keep us busy so that maybe everybody wouldn't leave. I mean, a bunch of people left pretty much immediately. When, when the writing was kind of on the wall of, man, it's going to be a hard, we didn't know if it was months or years, it's going to be a hard time before things pick back up. So some people left right away. Some people had to let go, like project managers, people that were kind of middle. But then we started building a, a product. And over time, it got <laughs> more and more people left. And it got to the point where we had a product and it was, I, I don't know, maybe it was making five, $600 a month. It wasn't making much money, but we built it and it, people kept reading the writing on the wall of like, what's going to happen? And the client services business isn't picking back up. And so it eventually gets to the place where it's just me. So now I've got a product that we've built, but the team that built it is no longer there. Wow. At one point it was hosted in my house. I just had it hooked up. Thank goodness for Comcast. Um, uh, wow. I, I would have to change the IP address every once in a while just to keep up. Uh, I, I think I might have violated some terms of service. But anyways, <laughs> it, was just, it was just me, but it was growing month over month, right? So the product was growing month over month. And um, one of my good friends that I worked with who, who had left called me up and I was telling him, I was like, man, this is, a, this is amazing, right? Like all I have to do is keep these customers happy and they're paying a monthly fee and I'm growing every month. Every month, I'm getting more customers. And so it was like linear growth. I could, pro- you know, I could project how much money I'd be making each month. And I'm like, I can live on this. And he said, well, I've got an idea for a product. And so I said, well, let's, let's do something different, right? I don't ever want to be back in the place where we were with client services, where I've got a team of people billing by the hour, right? Where I'm living hand to mouth, where I've got to go out and get the next deal to be able to pay the bills. I don't want to be back in that place. And so if you want to come back up to at the time he was in Miami, he said, if you want to come back, back up to Jacksonville, we'll build this product together, partner up, we can do that. But it's going to be a different kind of company than the one that we built before. And so he's like, yeah, I'm all in. So he came up, we built our second product. And at that time, we learned from a company called Basecamp, which we had followed for a long time, even before they launched their product Basecamp. They had a, a blog, a design blog, where they talked about concepts that we thought were really interesting. And a, and a lot of startups, if you are an entrepreneur or a startup, a lot of folks lean into the principles of Basecamp. So it's a great resource to go check out if you're listening and, you're, and you have a startup. So it's a great yeah. call out, Tom. I, I would say that Basecamp, of, of all the companies uh, that have impacted uh, my entrepreneurial journey and our company, Basecamp, is definitely one of the biggest. Not only for giving us Ruby on Rails, which is the, the coding language that we use for all of our products, but for the way that they work, like we've learned a lot about how to work from them. Now we, we take their ideas and concepts and we apply them in our own diff- different way, but they have definitely had an impact. And so at that time, we began building our products using a Basecamp methodology. We actually went to Basecamp's headquarters in Chicago before we launched our second product. And they had a workshop where they talked about basically how to build a product. And at the time, it was called Getting Real was the, the workshop. And it was so different than client services. It was so different than the way we'd worked at the time, that me and my partner were like, this is going to be really hard for us, but we're going to try it. We're going to try and build a product this way where you're not writing all kinds of documentation and requirement documents and drawing up all these different things, but you just start building. Now, eventually over time, a lot of these concepts matured, right? So now everyone knows about SaaS businesses. That's what it was, but we didn't know that. We didn't call it a SaaS. 
And people know about agile development, but we didn't know it was called agile at the time, but that's what it was. Um, And so that's kind of how we got into it. And so we began building products and really didn't look back. Now, as much as you can glean from Basecamp, you could also teach a masterclass on leadership and layoffs based on the conversations that we've had before and and at PodFest, Tom, and, and we think, you know, some of your principles around leadership and employees are, are exemplary. And we actually just published an episode uh, focusing on layoff letters and how companies are doing layoffs and basically a, a sense that we think there's there's a better and softer way. And there's also a way to reimagine people in roles and, and avoid layoffs. You've gone through all these evolutions at higher pixels and, you know, periods of contraction, periods of expansion. Tell us a little bit about your philosophy of employee retention. Tell us a little bit, perhaps share the story that you did about how decisions are made as a culture, which I think really brings a lot of trust and transparency and, and makes you know, working with you and your co-CEOs just a really great place to be. When people talk about how difficult it is to be an entrepreneur, the, the challenges that you face, the things that you've overcome, my mind immediately goes to those months where. I mean, I'm just, these are people that I care deeply about that I've brought onto the team and I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. Literally, I had maxed out every credit card. That was kind of the marker is once I maxed out all my credit cards, I knew at that point I had no choice. I've got to, I got to let that middle management, that middle layer go. And I got to start looking at what the future of this company looks like. And it was the most difficult time in my life dealing with that. Because again, I feel like employees are not meant to be consumed. They're not objects to be consumed for profit. I couldn't have articulated it that well, <laughs> I think. But I think there was a struggle that I was going through as I, was, I, was, I had to, to do this. And because of that, it burned me in such a way. So now there's the three of us. And so the three of us, we talked about what is it, how do we articulate this? And so what we said was we want to empower people to positively impact the world. That's what this company needs to be about, right? Whether it's on the clock, whether it's off the clock, we want to empower people to have a positive impact in the world. And the way to do that is to prioritize abundant life and purpose over profit, right? That sounds great. That's an overarching mission. It's a mission above the mission, right? We're going to build software. We're going to solve complex problems with software that makes you think, wow, that, that looks so simple. How did these guys do it, right? But the mission above that is that we are really seeking to positively impact the world, whether that's impacting the individuals that come onto the team, or if it's the people that use our products, we want to have a positive impact on them. And so because of that, you run all these decisions through the lens. When you hire somebody, am I going to have a positive impact on their life if all I do is consume them for a year and then discard them? Like, no, that's not, that's not what we're about. And so it gave us kind of a lens, kind of a framework for how we were going to approach. That is our measuring stick of what we want to accomplish. It's not about, I don't care. People... It's so funny. There's these interviews that people did with me years ago when, when there was only two or three of us, when they, maybe the company only had three or four of us. And they kept asking, well, how much money do you guys make? How much money do you guys make? Or they call you, you know, oh, you're, you're just a lifestyle business or whatever. And I'm like, one, I'm not going to tell you how much money I make because I don't think it matters. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that you're obsessed with what your monthly recurring revenue is, like if that's your measuring stick, I don't want to be a part of it. Now, I need profit because it's the oxygen for the business. It's, it, what we need to survive, but it is not the goal. It is not the measuring stick of, of whether or not we're succeeding or not. 
the measuring stick is, are we having a positive impact in people's lives? Are we accomplishing what we set out to do? And so I think that kind of framework allowed us to begin hiring and growing the team. And now we're bigger than we ever were, even when we were a client services company. But I feel like we have a healthier framework in how we look at it. It's so refreshing to hear you say that. And I think what you're saying right now is part of a, an unfolding conversation that we're starting to have globally, where people are starting to be really reflective about what are we doing here? What is the purpose of this? And, and the pandemic certainly um, elevated this entire conversation in that people started saying, well, if all this is is for profit and I'm going to be consumed like an object, then I'm going to go find some place to work where people care about me and I can feel like I'm part of something. It's actually making a difference. And just the way that you're framing that, you had no idea at the time, but that's really progressive. What it's called now is human-centered leadership, a shift away from profits only to people over profits. And now even getting to the place of, well, we only have one planet. Maybe we should also be thinking about people, planet, then profits, right? It's fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely more acceptable now than it was then. Like I said, it was, it's like a diminutive word when they talk about a lifestyle business. I'm like, isn't every business a lifestyle business? Like you're just choosing what lifestyle you want for yourself and your team, right? Like every business is a lifestyle business, but they use it as, as like, a, oh, well, you're not a real business, so we don't want to talk to you. Oh, you didn't accept tens of millions of dollars from, uh, from VC people? Like, then we don't want to talk to you. You're like, what? Yeah. Why, would I, why would I do that? Why would I be beholden to someone else? Because now, now I can't do those things. I guarantee you, if, if you take uh, money from outside investors, they don't want to hear you start talking about people over profit. They want to hear profit over everything else. <laughs> yeah. But do you think that's going to hold, Tom? Because it seems like there's a groundswell of more and more people going, hey, that version of capitalism isn't serving us anymore. It's getting back to that philosophical thing of if it's just about profits and we're running ourselves into the ground, then what's the point of this? Do you think there's a chance that we'll actually get to this bigger movement? I, I think we probably, it's probably a silent majority, right? The majority of small businesses don't take money from investors, but those aren't the ones we hear about. Mm -hmm. When Buzzsprout became a large player in podcasting, we were amazed. We thought people would be like knocking on our door, that they would call us up for a comment about podcasting. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Why? Because, because nobody knows. Nobody knows about you, right? Because they're not talking about you because there's not some company that's motivated by the, the millions of dollars that they pumped into you to make sure that you're getting the press that you need. And so I think we give a lot of publicity to companies that don't necessarily warrant it. We don't give enough publicity to those that we should, which would be the small mom and pops, the bootstrapped products and companies that are out there. because. They're the majority, right? That's the majority of the businesses that are out there. I love the philosophy. I love how mission-based you guys have been. I love the way that you've been thinking about your employees and the empathy and, and the heart-centeredness you've had for them and, and not wanting to go through layoffs. And even that moment of, you know, as you were reinventing, saying, hey, I don't want to hire anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even, I, I can't imagine hiring anybody because I don't want to put anybody in harm's way, which of course you haven't. You've, you've, you've grown, you know, tremendously. One of the things that's also interesting about all this is we understand that you've been remote first for a very long time, since well before the pandemic. You guys have been working primarily remotely, and you share with us that people are really allowed to 
work from anywhere, which is which is something that we we talk a lot as a, as an emerging trend. You know, you are the most forward thinking companies have figured out how to allow their employees this privilege and honor it and make it work, even even when it's a little bit challenging. How have you guys done that and been able to at the same time build a cohesive culture? I think people would be really interested in that. Yeah. I would be interested in that as well. <laughs> I would like <laughs> let me let me let me say this. There are things that we're still learning, right? You threw in that thing about cohesive culture there at the end. I think that's the biggest struggle that we face right now as we adopt more and more remote leadership. I think that's the biggest challenge that we face. But in terms of our story, I think it was more driven around, you know, one, our relationship with Basecamp and following them, and they are 100 percent remote, but also in figuring out what is it that we're doing together, right? What is it that we as a company, right? We want to have a positive impact. How do we have the biggest positive impact? Because that's our mission. And it's by being a high-performing team. And so this is something that kind of made it into our vernacular jargon, the way that we talk about ourselves is that we are a high-performing team. We're not a family, which can be painful. So how can we best be a high-performing team? And the question is, where are you most where do you perform the best? That's what we want. And so when we built our office, we designed it in such a way that we wanted it to be the most, the most productive place somebody could work. And so that means that there's areas where you're uninterrupted because the, kind, the nature of knowledge work is that you need long periods of time that you're not interrupted, that you can think deeply about problems. And we don't want you know, people tapping you on the shoulder and interrupting you and so building our office around that. So that's what we did. Is we built the office in such a way that it could be this kind of safe haven of productive work. And it was totally optional. So if it wasn't the most productive, if you could be more productive working somewhere else, like there's sometimes I really like working in a Starbucks. I just like the energy of people being around me. Now, not necessarily talking to me, but they're around me. And then I'm, you know, I've got music on my AirPods and I'm coding. Like, I love that. I love that. I have to be very productive in that environment. So if there's another place that you're more productive, work there. That was always our philosophy. But we still had a good number of people that they chose the office. This office was the most productive place for them to work. So then when the pandemic hit, now everyone was remote. So that wasn't even, there was no option to even be here in the office. So I think it's something that um, we have always appreciated, we've always wanted, and we're still learning. I think we are a high-performing team. How are we going to build a healthy culture, right? How are we going to get to know one another? So when we hired our first employee who we only met in person after six months, they worked for the company for six months before we met them in person. How do you have a healthy culture in that? And I think that's something that we're still, we're still navigating. And I think, I think more and more businesses, I think, are going to do that. What is the future of leadership? And what is the future of the working relationship look like when... So for us, for example, we're so focused on being a high-performing team. Well, all of our interactions are about performance. All of our interactions are about how do I get the things done that need to get done? Well, what about what did you do over the weekend? Or mm-hmm. what are the things that you enjoy? And so you could say, oh, those are a distraction. Those aren't going to help you perform. But really, they do. Of course, so, they do. Yeah. So how, yeah. do you, how do you incorporate that? How do we get some of those other interactions? Because I think we've got to figure that out. You're spending too many hours of your, of your day it doesn't mean that we have to be best friends. It doesn't mean that we have to be family, but there has to be some interactions that are not, I need to do this. You know, can you help me with that? Those kind of transactional performance related activities. 
And so that's, I think, what we're still working through. So for us... That, that, that's exactly at that point on transactional activities. And I think that's one of the dangers of remote work is that your relationships with your colleagues can become very transactional, that you miss that, that nuance, that camaraderie. And I want to be very clear that when I introduce this topic, I don't mean to say that everybody should, that every role or every job should be able to be fully remote all the time. There is some work that absolutely must take place in the office. And I do want to honor organizations and teams and groups that need to be in the office for the right reasons. But on the other hand, it's to your point, creating the right environment so that when you go to the office, the value add is there because we're in a moment where people do want that flexibility. You know, Nate's talked about the endless amount of hours that he spent commuting pre-pandemic in his job and how much he's enjoyed being a, a loving and present you know, father and husband, uh, you know, his, his wife texts me like, can you get him out of the house more? But like, yeah. I don't tell him about that because, you know, he's, he's a loving and present husband. So, so but the, the point is like that in office time must matter and it must matter for the way that you work. And you've addressed that, I think, really beautifully. We yeah. are a high performing team. The office is constructed to allow people to operate as a high performing team. So it's fit for purpose, which is which is the whole thing. You know, there's something else in there, Tom, though, that I want to lift up for everyone, which is it used to be okay to be a leader and you cared about metrics and you cared about profit and revenue and efficiencies and that sort of thing. But we've entered a world, and you started to allude to it, of who is this person sitting across from me? What do they care about? What are they struggling with? Right? We're in this era of mental health and well-being. We're in an era of racism and racial violence and Loneliness. Loneliness. Is this person impacted by these, you know, social constructs that are unfolding and in any given day you're seeing this new thing in the news? And I think that more and more leaders are going, hang on, it's not enough to just be domain centric. Oh, I'm really good at engineering. Oh, I'm really good at finance or whatever, whatever. But can you open to humanity and the human experience and to be courageous enough as a leader to start to build some structure to support those kind of conversations? Yeah, I think it's really challenging because there is a spectrum, right? There is a spectrum of how, how much of that we get into. For example, I've, I've heard people talk about, well, I want to be able to bring my whole self to work. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you, right? What does that mean to you? Because I don't necessarily want you to bring your whole self to work, right? Like I want the portion of yourself that's, that's appropriate for work. And I think it could swing to a direction where now we're, we're, we're spending, you know, time where we could be performing. We're spending it talking about things that we absolutely have nothing to do with us as a team and in our business. And so figuring out, it can't all be about the business, but it can't all be about us individually, right? Like we yeah. have to be able to, to move forward. And I think it's finding that, I don't know where that balance is, but I think that's, that's what remote work is kind of bringing to a head because there's something missing if all you're doing is those transactional interactions with your team. Uh, but there's also, there could be something missing. I mean, it used to happen in the office. It was, it, it, we just didn't know it. But you were wasting so much time in the office where people are, whatever, hanging around the break room or they're just tapping each other's on the shoulder and they're just interrupting them all day. And they're not happy. They don't, what do they do? They come in early or they stay late so they can get their work done because they know yeah. during the business hours, I can't get anything done. There has to be this balance in figuring out what it is. One of the things that we did uh, which was really good that we did during during the pandemic when you just felt 
the, the loneliness, the, the disconnect from everyone. And, and you say, well, what's missing? Well, you know, you can't rub, you can't rub shoulders with somebody. You're not just going to bump into them at the office. And so what we did was we created a meeting, a 30-minute meeting every week for six weeks. At the end of that six weeks, you would have met with every person on the team only one time for 30 minutes and you weren't allowed to talk about work. And you're like, well, that's ridiculous. That's not, how is that moving your team forward? How is that helping you perform? Oh, it is. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it other than it's necessary, right? It's, uh, we just concentrated all that water cooler time into a 30-minute call. And then, you know, we could go back to our silos and work. But it, it, was, it was pretty effective. We did it two or three times. And then it, it kind of got old. It got stagnant. And so, mm. you know, we're, we're just looking for ideas like that where we can, where the agenda of the meeting is specifically to not be business oriented, right? I think there's ways to, to accommodate that. It's just figuring out how. <laughs> yeah. And to continue to run experience. Yeah. One quick question. Without naming names, are there any stories of where someone brought a little more of themselves to work that you'd like to share and what that felt like? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say I've seen it more in other companies where boundaries have been removed and you listen to it and you're like, oh my gosh, like some, at some point, at some point you have to do the work, right? Um, have you guys heard the Lane of the Giants podcast? The Lane of the Giants is a great podcast. They talk about like the history of these big companies, the, the giants, right? So they talk about Amazon and they, they did Google and I was listening to Oh gosh, I hope this isn't controversial. But they're talking about Google and this implosion within Google where the, the employees just, they decided that they didn't like the work that was getting done. And I was like, at some point, like it's the job, right? At some point, it's the company that you're, you know? And so I just think there's something, there's some line. I don't, I don't know where to draw it. I don't know how to describe it. But I think that there are, there are, there are people that are like, well, no, I'm only, I only want to interact with you about business. And there's people that are like, man, no, I want to interact with you about everything. Yeah. And you're like, there's got to be something in the middle, right? There's got to be yeah. something. And, Speaking and, and of- I, I think too, it's thinking about the future of what do our relationships look like? It was interesting, Alex, the way that you talked about Nate's relationship with his family. Because what's happening is the time that we're not spending commuting, we're spending somewhere else, right? And so where are we investing those other hours? Because... It, it, it's possible that work has been filling a need that it shouldn't have, right? Like, uh, for example, friendships. Like, if work is your primary location for friendship, that might not be the healthiest place for you to find friends, right? Like, there might be a better place for those friendships to exist. And so when we went remote, some people were disrupted because they were no longer, well, gosh, these people, you know, they, this was my this was my base for for friendships. And I think, that, that could be a good thing, right? It might actually be a good thing because it forces you to start a hobby. It forces you to maybe do something that's different. I, I'm just theorizing, but I think that that's, that's an example of where that line is between what's appropriate at work and what's not and that shifting balance. Yeah, for sure. What matters most? Um, it, speaking of change, being an entrepreneur is changing radically right now. And um, artificial intelligence is exploding. Alex likes to call it AI everywhere. It's definitely hit a tipping point. But given how much has changed over the last three years, and now you put this sort of cherry on top of chat GPT and, and this fascination, you know, Microsoft's massive investment, and it's, it's obviously going to permeate tools everywhere. But I want to ask you about you, Higher Pixels, Buzzsprout, et cetera. 
How do you think this new era of artificial intelligence and intelligent technologies is going to impact higher pixels and maybe even Buzzsprout? Well, uh, that's a great segue into me announcing that we're going to be launching Buzzsprout AI. No, (laughs) (laughs) everything. I feel like everybody's got an AI product now. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I, I think I think it's great. It's a it's a tool to be used, right? It's 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 like every other thing that has ever come out where people are like, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. This is gonna disrupt everything. No, it's not. It's gonna change the nature of our work. Uh, for for me, I love uh I, I'm just being totally honest. I hate writing. I'm a horrible writer, and I love using chat GPT to help me write better. Where I, like reword this, make it sound better, right? Yeah. And it'll just it writes it. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to pull this phrase out here. This is great. Oh, I like the way it said this sentence. I'm going to pull this sentence. Like, it's a great example of, it's just not, that's not the highest and best use of my time is writing those things. And the AI helps with that. And I think that's what we're going to see is it's going to be a tool that's going to be used. It's not going to eliminate positions, certainly not in our company. Uh, I think it will refine those positions. It'll make it so that they can do a better job at what they do, but it's not going to, it's not going to replace them. We always tell people, you know, AI is not coming here to to wholly replace us. It's coming here to you know push us to to reimagine our roles more than anything, and hopefully do more purposeful work. But it is an evolution. And speaking of evolution, podcasting is going through one as well. We know this is something that you're an expert on, and there's a lot of talk about this podcast 2.0 movement. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. So <laughs> podcasting is just an exciting frontier to be on right now. I feel like it's the early days of the internet, right? The browser wars of is Microsoft, is anybody ever going to stop Internet Explorer from being, you know, the dominant web browser? How could they possibly beat Internet Explorer that's built into your operating system, right? I think it's it's very similar in podcasting where you have these, (laughs) the land of the giants, the podcast I was talking about earlier, right? You have the Spotify's of the world that are battling out with Apple and uh, Google and Amazon that all want to own podcasting. And uh, I think that's, that's where we are, this frontier where they're trying to figure out how it can be owned. And Podcasting 2.0 is about how do we keep anyone from owning it? How do we keep it independent and open? Which is kind of what's made podcasting so great is that when in the history of the world, you know, could you go into a little closet and record a 20-minute episode about whatever your your favorite Dungeons and Dragons character and have it listened to anywhere in the world, right? Like you could push a button and now it's downloaded anywhere in the world. Like that's the 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 beauty and the the magic of podcasting is that you can it's so the the barriers to get into it are so low and your ability to be able to get your message out to to the, a global audience has just never been easier. And so I think podcasting 2.0 is all about continuing to keep it open and easy for those things to happen. What do you what do you see as the next big opportunity in podcasting? As a guy who's been looking around corners since since 1995, you know, in in the in the innovation space, what's the next big opportunity for podcasting? Well, I think podcasting is still there's a lot of people that are like, "Oh, I missed the boat. Oh man, I I missed the boat on podcasting." And it no. <laughs> there's still so much opportunity for content. There's so much opportunity for you to create a niche audience around whatever that thing is that you're passionate about, man, that you, that you light up when you get to talk about it. Like, there is an opportunity for you to launch that podcast. And like, oh yeah, but there's already, 
three or four that are out there. It's like, okay, there's five Italian restaurants on my street that I live on, right? Like, right. there's plenty of room for more. Like, you can, you can go do this. Uh, so anyways, all that to say, I think podcasting is, what's exciting about podcasting is it's still exciting. You can still get into it even now. There's just, uh, this is one of the statistics that we talked about in the presentation that you went to, right? Of just, there's not that many podcasts. People think there are, but there aren't. There's really uh, one one location, one place that I, w- I was looking at statistics. I, it was somewhere around 300,000 podcasts that had 10 or more episodes that had been updated in the last 90 days. Like that's just not that many considering there's what, 100 million Google YouTube channels, right? So there's so much opportunity to be able to, to get out there with your podcast. Now, that being said, it's, it's not easy. But as far as doing everything we can to make it as easy as possible for people to do that. But you know, you guys know the yeah. work that's required to, to make a quality podcast. No matter what that thing is that you're excited about uh, talking about, it still takes work <laughs> to be able to figure out what the topic is going to be and being consistent and how often you're doing it and making sure that you've got your equipment set up properly so that it sounds good and all those kind of things that really can, can make the podcast different. It's interesting because when we first started this in 2020 and we were much more in the hobbyist phase of our podcasting, it took us more than double the time that it takes us now to produce a single episode. And so we've learned a lot in the, the quality, uh, we think, we hope, our, our audience has to validate this, uh, has gone up uh, a great deal. Our equipment's gone up, our, our methodologies have improved but it's still a significant amount of time. And we're always looking for more efficiencies, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of dedication and a lot of discipline. To Tom's yeah. point though, Alex, that's the labor of love. You and I do this because we love it. That's it right there. We're passionate about this. And Tom, you and I share something, Alex, with, or all of us share something, and that is doing something that's making a difference in this world. The reason that we even started this podcast was to because we know work's changing faster than it ever before in history. We know that people are having a harder and harder time reinventing themselves. Who am I now? Who am I now? Who am I now, right? Everything's changing around me. Who am I now? And we want to help with that. So we just were passionate about it and started a podcast. In a very similar way, that's what you did. You said, I want to build tools that help people, that make life better, for-profit, non-profit, the whole thing. I want to make life better. And that's something that we share the same journey on. I think when you consider how difficult it is to, to do a podcast, it's got to be something you care about. It's got to be yeah. something you're passionate about. So this will happen every once in a while. Somebody will write into Buzzsprout Support and they'll say, hey, what should my podcast be about? <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Yikes is right. I'm like, well, if you don't know, it's just too hard, yeah. right? It's just too hard for you to talk about. If you're if you're trying to use some SEO strategy to figure out what your podcast should be about, you're going to give up. It's got to be something you care about. It's got to be something you're excited about. I mean, I always joke about whatever, Dungeons and Dragons. And, uh, you know, I love Star Wars. I mean, I listen to a podcast about Star Wars action toys. Like it's a podcast, not just about Star Wars, but about the toys from Star Wars. And you know what? There's like 10 of them, right? There's like 10 different podcasts that are on that one niche. Why? Well, because somewhere, someone is really passionate about that thing. Otherwise, it would be just too hard uh, to do it. So I think that that's, that's key. There's a fun business fact about Star Wars toys is that when George Lucas was producing the first Star Wars movie, he put in a clause saying that he would like all the licensing from the toys and the studio just gave it away to him. They're like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. That was a billion dollar rounding error. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. a George. <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. But it's stuff like that 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 people it, you can get excited about any. You can be passionate about any little niche, and there's an audience out there for it because you're not alone. <laughs> and a lot of times, it's that connection that really makes the difference. There was a podcast uh, in town that was connected through a hospital, and it was a woman whose husband was diagnosed with a rare disease, and she was, you know, dealing with all of the changing diet and all of the things that she had to, to deal with to help take care of her husband who was going through this. And um, the resources just weren't there. So she starts a podcast. As she's finding these things out, she's sharing it on a podcast. Well, next thing you know, she's got a whole audience of other people whose spouses have been diagnosed with the same disorder and they're all trying to deal with it together. And so she builds this community and it's like, you want to talk about purpose and passion and your ability to make an impact uh, with a podcast? Like, got stories like that for days. Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty of this medium. As you were saying, it's democratized. It's transparent. Anyone can get in the game. It just gets started. And your audience, you will find your audience. They're out there, right? So millions of podcasts were started in the pandemic. And then a bunch of them, like you said, fizzled out. You know, there's over 3 million of them out there, but a lot of them aren't active and that sort of thing. There's something tough about podcasting. It's tough to make money. And so anybody who's passionate about this thing and they're like, oh, this is a labor of love, but I just want to give this to the world and I want to find my tribe and I want to be in this community. And then there's the reality that you face as a podcaster where you're like, I'm not really making any money doing this thing. So kind of what words of advice or encouragement would you give to people to say, yes, get your voice out there, find your people, find your tribe. And if you do it right, you can make this into some something, right? For sure. For sure. I think the, the question of, you know, how do I make money in my podcast? That it comes up a lot. If it comes up too early, I'm afraid it might undermine your success. <laughs> if you're getting into the podcast to make money, like we were just talking about, it might not be worth it. You might not be able to make that work. Now, there's tons of people that are different. They already have an audience, right? They've already got a blog or they've written a book or they've got, you know, people that they're going to build their podcast for. That's different. If you're starting from scratch, you're building your podcast and you're wondering, you know, how I can make money, it's going to be a hard, long road because you've got to have, you've got to have some success. You've got to have some followers uh, before you can do that. But once you do that, once you start to get some traction and you start to find your tribe and you start to, to resonate with them, I think there are so many different ways to be able to turn that into a way to pay the bills. Maybe you're not going to quit your day job, certainly not out of the gate, but you certainly could pay for your hosting. You could pay for a new microphone every year. You could pay for, you know, all these like, like different things over time. It can, it can grow. The thing that I recommend the most, uh, is it's this concept that was kind of part of podcasting 2.0, which is called value for value. This idea that as a podcaster, you're creating value. You're creating something that's valuable and you're giving it away for free, essentially, by putting it out uh, on an RSS feed somewhere that they can download with whatever player they want. But podcasters need to recognize, one, that that's valuable. And listeners need to understand that that's not free, <laughs> that it's valuable. And so then what you can do is start saying, hey, look, do you enjoy this content? If you do, consider supporting the show. Support the show. Maybe it's, is it worth $5 a month? Is it worth $10 a month? What is it worth? Whatever you think it's worth, that's what we would ask that you would contribute back to the show. I think that's my favorite form of you know, monetization for your podcast. It's value for value. It's saying, 
Is it valuable for you? If it is, then share that with me because you know what? I, I bought a microphone for this. I'm spending hours every week recording and editing and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy doing it, but I sure would appreciate you know, some support. I think that's so much better than Geico ads being inserted into your, into your podcast. I think that's great. I, I, I use, uh, as a related example, I use the app Insight Timer for meditation. I've been using it for years and there are certain teachers that I follow. And at the end, when you finish your meditation, it gives you the opportunity to donate, you know, fix some of money, one, three, five, ten, or custom amount. And every once in a while, I'll just, you know, flip them a little bit of money. I'm thinking, you know, gosh, I'm getting so much benefit out of this. I'm, I'm grateful to do this. I'm happy to do this. And it's, it's making it easy and it's in unintrusive. So I like the way that you, you, you brought that up. Tom, we're going to bring this to a close with a speed round today. Oh uh, and we're going to ask you five questions and I'm going to kick things off. And my first question for you is, how are you and your team driving podcast 2.0 forward? Buzzsprout is driving podcasting 2.0 forward by promoting, by letting other people know about it, letting podcasters know about it, and also uh, adopting some of the functionality as early as we can. So for example, just yesterday, we launched the ability to uh, use what's called the podcast TXT field inside of your RSS feed. It was something that was proposed by the podcasting 2.0 community as a way to verify feeds without having to put email, email addresses inside of your RSS feed. So it's a great example of where we can help drive that forward by supporting a tag, even before it's widely adopted, even before the likes of Apple and Spotify are even considering. Very cool. What worries you about the future as it relates to the podcast industry? Yeah, my biggest worry would be that somebody would own it and then control it. I don't want to knock on Spotify because it's a great business model, but it's not great for podcasting to try and be the source for podcasting so that now they can control how it's monetized. They control what you can say, what you can't say, what you can do and not do with your podcast. I don't think it's good for Spotify to own it. I don't think it's good for any one company to own podcasting. That's the thing that I'm most concerned about for the future of podcasting. We know you listen to leadership and personal growth podcasts. Besides TDW, The Disrupted Workforce, <laughs> what are your favorite podcasts? Yeah, the uh, Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast is probably my favorite leadership podcast. Carrie Newhoff and the Rework Podcast by the team at Basecamp. Very cool. Awesome. A lot of people don't know when it's the right time to make a critical business decision. Uh, whether you call it a shift, a huge change, a pivot, whatever you're calling it, you all have been through that at higher pixels and it, and it paid off. In fact, it's paid off handsomely. But how should people think about this time of great change and, and making that pivot? I think there are, there are things that, they, that people should embrace, right? Where rather than resisting it, they should figure out how to use it to their benefit. So for example, the shift to remote work is inevitable. So rather than resisting it and trying to operate in a remote environment the way you did when you were in an office, is not sustainable or to just deny its existence, deny that this is happening, that more and more companies are moving in this direction. Not, not every job, not every company, but for a lot of companies and a lot of jobs, they are moving that direction. So I think it's, it's being honest and saying, no, this is happening. And so how can I use it to my benefit rather than resisting it and fighting it and use it for, for a way to actually propel us forward? 
but it's much easier to say than to do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I did not pivot out of my own desire to, you know, to reinvent myself. It was forced upon me <laughs> from outside things. So that answers a perfect segue into our last question for you, Tom. So your, your work at Higher Pixels requires a great deal of problem solving and product innovation. And it's inevitable that you get stuck from time to time. How do you yourself deal with those moments? How do you step back and coach yourself through that and step back from a problem in order to meet that moment? And then how do you lead your team through it? When I'm faced with something, a challenge, a problem, something I'm trying to solve, I'm fortunate that I have a team that is very honest. You know, they will tell you, (laughs) but there are no shortage of opinions on our team. And so I love being able to go to them and collect opinions and ideas and, and not necessarily reach a decision, but be able to get that information. And then I like long periods of uninterrupted time to, to process, you know, to be able to, to kind of come to my own you know, decisions based on those inputs. But I'm, I'm fortunate to have a team that can really help. Mm. Dom, thank you for being here. And as I listened to you, it became very clear to me about this deep purpose that you have, not only to make these amazing products that make life better for human beings, which is powerful in and of itself. But in the process of that, you created Buzzsprout, which is one of the premier places where anyone can bring their voice and give their gifts to the world. What an amazing way to live your passion and purpose through your product by helping more and more people find their tribe, find belonging, get out of loneliness, build their communities, and give this special gift back to the world. So thank you for doing what you're doing. And we are grateful to be on this journey called podcasting with you. Thanks, guys. I appreciate being on on the show. Thank you for joining us on this journey. In a world where attention is scarce and content is abundant, it means a lot. To learn more about this episode, go to disruptedwork.com forward slash podcast, where you can find show notes and key details about the episode, our guests, and how to connect with us. Our website also contains additional resources for learning, including our future work mindset model and action plan. The best way you can support the disrupted workforce is to subscribe to our show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To help others thrive in the future work, spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing your favorite episodes with the people you care about. Disrupt yourself to unlock your future work.